So this morning we want to uh, welcome Dr. Sean Campbell, uh, who has been a speaker uh, with us before. I, I think he's spoken here about uh, 10 times. He's a leader with, uh, an advisor with uh, Samaritan's Purse Canada, with the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. He's traveled the world proclaiming the love and power of Jesus and has a timely message for us on the battles we face from 2 Chronicles 20 this morning. I want to ask Sean to come and I will pray for him as, as he begins to minister with us uh, this morning. And uh, Sean, I, I watched the service. We haven't met before, but I, I watched the service online last night. And you will not have hair envy for my hair. That's, that's one thing I'll say here this, uh, this morning. So let me pray for you. Father God, I thank you for Sean. I thank you for how you have used him for your kingdom across the world. I know he has a message that will bless us, that will challenge us, and give us hope here today. In your name we pray. Amen. Bless you. Well, good morning, everyone. Just to clue you in as to what that was last night, uh, Pastor Wayne introduced me, and I just thought, how cool would it be to have Pastor Wayne's hair? Don't you think he's got great hair? I wish I had hair like that. Those of you that believe in healing, maybe you can lay hands on me afterwards and we can just see what happens. Maybe my hair will go poof and it'll look like Wayne, one of my goals in life. Now, I'll have to be careful of time this morning because I tend to talk too long. But listen, can I just thank you? Many of you from this church have helped us in Samaritan's Purse and our ministry in Ukraine. Uh, we've taken over 17,000 metric tons of food aid into Ukraine. We have a DC-8 that flies back and forth every week. And what we've been doing is when it flies over with supplies, it flies back with refugees. And we've had 265 Ukrainians come to Canada. And praise God for that, because you know who's receiving these people? Yeah, bless the Lord. You know who's receiving these people? People that are Christians who love on them. And when they've come out of the horrors of such, my grandmother was from Kiev. So I've got a special interest in this part of the world. My mother didn't speak English till she was 12 years old. Uh, she was born, she's Polish. But you know, I look at that part of the world and I think what God is doing. And remember about the Ukraine, it's one of the largest mission-sending countries in all of Europe. Did you know that? Into the Ikistans, Tajikistan, Kazakhstan, many of these Ikistan countries, Ukrainians are sending people to preach the gospel. So it disturbs me what's going on there, but I'm so grateful to God that he's at work. We've got eight medical sites. We've seen over 16,000 patients there. Uh, we provide 100,000 liters of fresh, clean water every day to people over there. Um, we're working with 3,000 churches. We have 650,000 Operation Christmas Child shoeboxes over there. And I love it when the media comes to me and they say, are you just providing shoeboxes? Oh, Lord, no. We are providing so much more. But the hope that it gives children to know that they haven't been forgotten is so powerful. I know many of you from this church packed those shoeboxes. And let me just give you a statistic that came out of our July report from Operation Christmas Child. Do you know that every day, five short of 25,000 kids hear the gospel through Operation Christmas Child? Every 24 hours. And of those 6,400, about that, come to faith in Jesus Christ. And over 11,000 enroll in our discipleship program. So for those of you that pack those shoe boxes, thank you from the bottom of our heart. 
because you are making a difference. Can you imagine 6,400 kids every 24 hours giving their lives to Jesus Christ? And I've always said, by the way, if you do something nice for me, thank you. If you do something nice for my kids, you got me. And when I look at what we can do for children, listen, is it more blessed that you get something or you see your kids happy? And I say, when I see my kids happy, you've got me. And this gives us an opportunity to take the gospel. We have seen churches planted in Muslim communities. You know why? Because we've had a three-year strategy to take shoeboxes into these areas and remind people that the Son of Jesus, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, absolutely loves them, and He is God. He's not just a prophet. So thank God for that. This morning, I am going to talk about Second Chronicles. And do you know how you find these passages in Scripture or songs, which we're going to sing at the end, one of the songs that's touched my life? I, I lost my wife almost 11 months ago. And, you know, she's battled cancer since 2013, and she was courageous. She was beautiful. Uh, it, it really broke my heart to see her go through this and the suffering. And I remember praying, oh, God, would you just please heal her? I hear you heal people. Why won't you heal my wife? And you know what I learned through all this? God did heal her. He took her home. My little six-year-old grandson said to me recently, he said, you know, Grandpa, he says, even if Grandpa, Grandma could come back to he from heaven to earth, do you think she'd want to come? It's so much better there. Little smart aleck. What a theologian. Listen, when you need prayer, go get kids to pray for you. They're not hung up about faith like I am. You go and ask kids to pray for you, they believe God. And I thought, what a time. At any rate, this passage from 2 Chronicles chapter 20 is one of those passages that I hung my hat on when my wife was suffering. They gave her four months to live last year. She lived eight months, and she lived beautifully into the glory of Christ. I thank God for that. What a testimony to me, my kids, and my grandkids to see her live like that. But there's this wonderful, I'm going to give you the context, because if I don't give you the context of the passage, any text without a context is nothing but a pretext. So we've got to be careful. And when you hear these preachers preach, make sure they're putting stuff in. Uh, that's why, listen, you can pull out Scripture verses from all over. Isaiah 4, 1, it says, In those end days, seven women will grab hold of one man and say, Hey, we'll buy our own clothes and provide our own food. Only let us be called by your name. I can pull that out of context. How dare we? When you put things in context, it gives meaning to them. So what's happening here? Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah. Remember, there were two tribes in the south. There were ten tribes in the north, in Samaria. They're called Israel. The two tribes that were in the south were called Judah. Ahab, Ahab, yeah, that Ahab, Jezebel's Ahab in the north. He calls up Jehoshaphat. He says, listen, Jehoshaphat, uh, I got to go up and do some battle against the king of Syria. Now, I'm going to read into the text, okay? This is Seanisms. Uh, you, you need to go read the text for yourself just to make sure I'm not too drifting off the pace here. But I'll tell you something. Ahab calls him up and says, Jehoshaphat, look, I, I, I'm really mad at the king of Syria. We have this disagreement over Ramoth Gilead. Will you come up and we'll fight together? And, and Jehoshaphat goes up and he says, well, listen, I, I'm not sure that we should go to battle. Do you have some prophets who can come? Ahab marches out, 400 of his prophets, and they say, hey, absolutely, go to war. You're going to defeat the Syrians. 
Jehoshaphat's still not convinced. He says, isn't there not a prophet of God here? And they bring out one named Micaiah, and he comes out, and he says, listen, uh, you know, he's always sarcastic. So he says, oh, yeah, you go ahead, King Ahab. You go to war. You're going to be victorious. Ahab gets mad at him. He says, you never prophesy anything good. Yeah, I, I, I like some of these who tell the truth, even when it hurts. He finally says, hey, you go to battle against Syria, you're going to die. Can, can I just say this about that? Will you be careful about the partnerships you make and the alliances that you make? And will you be careful who you listen to in these end times? We can find almost anybody to say anything to justify our behaviors in the Christian faith, sadly enough. But there are some prophets of God who stand up and say, this is what the Word of God says. And I'm not going to be ashamed, for it's the power of God unto salvation. Amen? And they'll say, this is the word of God, and this is what it says. I worry that we form alliances with all the wrong people, whether it's in marriages, relationships, whether it's in business partnerships, whether it's with the church. We think, You know, I've noticed, by the way, that every time that we mix religion and politics, you know what happens? Politics wins. We need to stand firm for what we believe and not compromise and not back down, not back away. And when our government says, you can no longer convert anybody, we stand up and say, by the word of God, we will do this. <laughs> any rate, Jehoshaphat's not convinced. He hears Micaiah. They go into battle. Ahab says to him, hey, you wear the kingly robes. I'm going to dress like a common soldier, thinking, hey, who are the Syrians going to go after? The guy in the kingly robes. Jehoshaphat barely wins. What happens to Ahab? He dies. Some soldier shoots an arrow, luck, providence, and kills Ahab. Jehoshaphat, who barely escapes, gets back to Jerusalem. He goes in. He's back in Jerusalem, and the prophet Jehu comes to see him. And uh, he says, listen, why did you go up and make an alliance with an evil king? You shouldn't have done that. He rebukes the king. And then he says, nevertheless, there's some good in you. Can I say, that about, say this about that? Some of you have done some wrong things. I have done certainly some wrong things in life. And I deserve a prophet to come and say to me, why did you do that, Sean? And you probably deserve a prophet to come to you and say, why did you do that? That was wrong. I always say God will confront us, but more than God confronting us, you know what he wants to do? He wants to comfort you. Jehu says to him, nevertheless that you did this, Jehoshaphat, there's still some good in you. And I hope you understand this morning that when God looks at you, no matter what you have done, you say, you don't know what I've done. I don't need to know what you've done. God knows what you've done. And still his love and his mercy and his power to forgive is so great that he looks into your heart this morning and says, there's still some good in you. And some of you have written yourselves off. You're saying, man, I've done so much that's bad. I look at my life and I go, oh my goodness. I have sinned so badly. And yet my Lord would look at my heart this morning and say, look, there's still some good in you. So will you please know that? This morning, it doesn't matter the depth of your sin. Some of you are looking at me nodding. You know what I'm talking about. But what you need to know this morning is that God forgives you.
He so loved you that he gave his one and only son for you. I often think, you know, and I've said this before, I said this yesterday. I said, listen, if you come to me, it's 9.35, and you say, hey, Sean, at 1 o'clock, you got to wait till 1 o'clock because i got to finish this, the next service. But if you said at 1 o'clock, Sean, i got to die, I'm not ready. Would you die for me? Oh, especially since I lost Brenda. Oh, absolutely I would. But if you said to me, Sean, you've got three kids. How about giving me Brandon, Zach, or Larissa to die? Wait, you know, obviously, I, maybe give you Zach because he drives me crazy some days. You know? <laughs> don't you find that? Can I say to grandpas this morning, you know, don't you get it, grandmas and grandpas? You know, just when you get off your knees praying for your kids, what does he give you? Grandkids. And you got to start praying from all over again. And I, the Lord, you know, if the Lord allows me to live long enough, I'm sure I'll have great-grandkids. And boy, do I want to be that old great-grandpa who prays for my grandkids and prays for my great-grandkids and is that funny old guy who doesn't complain about the music on Sundays. But thank God that we were entered into the presence of God and we experienced his grace and his mercy. Well... There's a lot of examples. I just want to say that to you. Um, some of you are feeling this morning that you've done something so wrong. Yet I say to you this morning, God would say to your heart, Jesus would say to your heart, listen, there's still some good in you. Just come back to me. And then what does Jehoshaphat do? He goes out, he, gets, he leaves Jerusalem, and he goes out in all the surrounding communities, and he starts bringing them back to God. And can I just say this about that? Listen, I tell you what, you want your church to be a praying church? Leadership should model it. If we want any of our churches to model praying, you know where it needs to start? Leadership. Jehoshaphat could have had his servants, he could have had his elders, he could have had the priests, the Levites, he could have had the prophets and send them out. You know who did it? Jehoshaphat did it. And I'm so glad I know about this church because I know the leadership of this church. They model. This is a church known for its prayer. You know why? Because the leadership models it. If you want your church to be a giving church, leadership needs to model it. If you want your church to be a missions-minded church where people are being sent out all over the world as professionals, as missionaries, as, as children's workers, as educators, whatever it might be that they go out in the grace and the glory and the power of Christ to do these things so that they might see the Lamb's Book of Life added to, let it start with leadership. Jehoshaphat goes out and he starts telling people about God. And then we get to chapter 20. Let me start reading it here. We're going to pull these up on the screen here. It says this. After this, the Moabites and the Ammonites with some of the Munites came to make war on Jehoshaphat. I always read that this way. After this, the Moabites and the Ammonites with some of the Mennonites. Okay, thank you. So, you know, thank you for being older this morning. I'm from, I'm from Mennonite Central called Abbotsford. And when I grew up, the Mennonites ran Clearbrook, and we ran the rest of the city. And, and I, I just remember that going on and on. You know, a lot of my friends, Rempel, Rhymers, Teesons, Friesens, all of those Mennonites. So I got to throw that in there. Carrie will come up to me later and say, hey, did you really mean that? Yeah, absolutely. After this, the Moabites and the Ammonites with some of the Mennonites came up to me. You see, you're not going to forget that now, are you? Some of the Munites came to make war on Jehoshaphat. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you from Edom and from the other side of the sea. It is already at Hazazan Tamar. Alarmed, 
Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all of Judah. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. I don't know about you, but if I knew three fast armies are coming against me, probably my first reaction is this. Get the swords out. Sharpen the swords. Get the shields out. Start drilling the soldiers. Plan how we're going to defeat this enemy. But what does it say about Jehoshaphat? The first thing he did was inquire of God. And when I think you've got these vast armies, and I don't know what they are, if they're health challenges, employment challenges, relational challenges, whatever the vast armies that are age, age challenges, whatever it might be, when you see these vast armies coming against you, do you know what my natural is? I got to fix this. I got to do something about this. But what does it say that Jehoshaphat did? He said he sought to inquire of God. Another version says he sought God's face. Another version says he begged God. Do you beg God for anything? I pray. But do I beg God? Oh, I did when Brenda was dying. God, I beg of you. Probably the first time in my life where so emotionally I cried out to God saying, God, do this. Don't take her. She doesn't, if anybody doesn't, take me. But I'll tell you something. When you need to inquire of God, listen, don't sharpen the swords. Don't gather the shields. Don't figure out what your resources are. Don't call your friends who you think they can help deliver me from this. I've got resources. I can do this. What does Jehoshaphat do? He inquires of God and he calls a fast. Later on in verse 13, it says, and they all came together, the men, the women, the children, and it says, the wee little ones. I know in churches we have all these different, you know, kind of services for kids. We've got a kids' church. We've got even young adults' church. We've got all these different things. There are times, and all that's good, but there are times where we need to come together as corporate people, and we come together even with the wee little ones, and we say, we are seeking your face, God. There is power in that. Do you want to see God heal our land? If my people call by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, then I will hear from heaven and heal their land. Don't you want that? But that's got to come, friends, when we inquire of God, we seek his face, and we come together jointly fasting and praying to God. Listen, these, these, you know, some people say, well, I, I don't even, I've never even fasted before. You need to try that at some point in time. I could go so far as to say God expects it of us that we be people who fast and pray, turn away from the good things of the world. Why? So that we can turn our eyes and our attention upon God. They all come together and they do this. That's the first place he started. Let's go on. Jehoshaphat's prayer. He prays this. O Lord... God of our fathers, are you not God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand, and no one can withstand you. But now there are men from Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whose territory you would not allow Israel to invade when they came up out of Egypt. So they turned away from them and did not destroy them. 
See how they are repaying us by coming to drive us out from the possession you gave us as an inheritance. Oh, our Lord, will you not judge them? And look, right there. Remember that these things we just sang the song, the battle belongs to the Lord. Oh God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us, but our eyes are upon you. Isn't that beautiful? Where are your eyes? Wherever your eyes are, that's what you'll become. You and I become like our emotional focus. When we are going through difficult times, whatever it is you focus in on emotionally, friends, this morning, is exactly the way you're going to become. So I say when you're in the midst of these things, hey, did, did you think that Jehoshaphat was calling out God? Oh, God, are you not in heaven? Are you not the God who created this whole world? I think he did that on purpose, not just to tell God and remind God that his faith was in him, but to call us all and say, hey, look it, God, in these times, I want to remind us all that you still sit on the throne. What does Psalm 11 say? In the last times, it says, you know, it talks about those enemies of God that stand in the shadows and take their little bows and arrows. They don't even have the guts to come out and challenge us face to face, but they do it from the shadows with their arrows, and they shoot their little arrows at us, and it affects us. And it says law and order is collapsing all over. But what does the very next verse say? But our God still sits on the throne. He still reigns. Say amen to that. Because I'll tell you what. We are in tough times in Canada, around the world. Does it matter what's going on in China and Taiwan this morning? Yes, but not really. Does it matter what's going on in the Ukraine this morning and Russia and all those other areas that are uh, fearful of what may happen to them? Yes, it does matter, but not really. Because I say this, Matthew 24 reminds us that in the end times there will be wars and rumors of wars, earthquakes and famines in various places, but the end is yet to come. These are just birth pains. And then there's that grace for it says, great verse that says, and the gospel of the kingdom will be preached as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. It doesn't matter what our government's going to do. It doesn't matter if Trump is going to come. Oh, it sure does to me. But it doesn't really matter. Because at the end of the day, our God still sits on the throne. He still reigns. And all people are going to take their place before him one day, and they are going to bow before the King of Kings, the God of this universe. Isn't that good news? We have no power to face this vast enemy coming against us, but where are our eyes? They're on you. Some of you have got some major challenges this morning. And I don't want you to leave here this morning unless you do business with God. And if you're facing vast armies coming against you, can I just gently remind you, put your eyes on the Lord. It's his battle. And what I love about this is the very next few verses, uh, this prophet named Jehaziel stands up. He's a priest. And he comes up, and he's got a word from the Lord for all of Judah and King Jehoshaphat. And here's what he says. Jehaziel says, he said to them, Listen, King Jehoshaphat, and all you who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. 
Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is your, not yours, but God's. A couple verses later, he says, Tomorrow, march down against them. They'll be climbing up by the pass of Ziz, and you'll find them at the edge of the gorge in the desert of Jeruel. You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your position. Stand firm. There's your job. Stand firm. That's the natural. God's job is the supernatural. Stand firm and see the deliverance the Lord will give you. Oh, some of you are here this morning and watching online. I want to tell you something. You're fighting battles that God never intended you to fight. You say, man, I got myself into this mess. You have no idea, Sean. I got myself into this problem. I need to get myself out of this problem. I don't want to burden God with looking after me because he's got so many others who are more deserving than me for him to look after. So I'm just going to fix this myself. Oh, no, 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 no. Who told you that nonsense? Some of you have got some issues this morning. And I think God just wants to say, hey, will you let me have this one? I got this one. Step aside. You're not going to have to fight this battle. This is mine. This is my battle. I know that in Center Street, there's a lot of capable men and women, executives of oil companies, doctors, people that we look in the world standards and say, oh, how successful they are. And they can often fix their own problems because of the resources and their contacts. Hey, even they are going to go through times in their lives. I don't care who you are this morning. You're going to go through a time in your life if you're a follower of Jesus where you get brought to the point where you say, I can't do this. And God says, finally, finally, I got your attention. Because God wants to say to you, I want to do this for you. So great is his love. I don't know what you're facing this morning. But I think for a number of you, God would simply say to you, I got this one. I know you're burdened. I know you've got this heavy thing that you're carrying. Let me do it for you. And some of you need to come to that point where you say, Lord, really? You love me that much? I know you love so-and-so. They're a good person. But I feel so ill-deserving. Listen, this is grace and mercy, friends, where God says to you, let me do this for you. Whatever it is you're facing this morning, let me do this for you. Two things that I think I want you to learn from that. One is you're going to get a little bit of encouragement just when you need it. They needed encouragement. Jehaziel comes and he's got this great word from the Lord. Hey, this is not your battle. This is God's battle. You, my friends, are going to get that. I, I spoke at a missions conference years ago, uh, and uh, I, I was talking about one of my favorite verses from Scripture, Psalm 34, 8. And it says, taste and see if the Lord is good. Kind of people were looking at me blankly, and finally one of these old missionaries who had been in Thailand for like 200 years <laughs> He says, that's not what it says, Sean. Uh, I said, well, sure, Wayne. It's one of my favorite verses. It says, taste and see if the Lord is good. He says, that's not what it says. Said, okay, Wayne, what does it say? Maybe he's going to quote the Hebrew. I don't know. He says, it doesn't say taste and see if the Lord is good. What does it say? Taste and see that the Lord is good. There is a big difference between if and that. 
And some of you are here this morning, and you need to taste this morning that the Lord is good to you, that your name is on his mind, that he woke up this morning before you woke up this morning, and who is on his mind? You were on his mind. And he wants to take what you're facing and you're struggling with this morning and reach down and say, let you taste just when you need. You remember Gideon? He's got to take on the Midianites. He's got 32,000 soldiers. God says, you got too many, Gideon. Gideon, what, what, they got 135,000. I think they got too many. I'm reading into the text again. I do that. He says, no, no, you go up and say, anybody frightened, go home. All right. Gideon goes and says, anybody frightened to take on 135,000 soldiers? 22,000 first-round draft picks, of which I would have been one. Sends them home. Okay, God, we're ready now. 10,000 versus 135,000. God says, you still got too many. Well, I'm pretty sure they got too many. He says, no, 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 go down to the water and watch the way that people drink. You know what Gideon had? 300. God says, now you're ready. He goes to bed that night, and I'm sure what he was thinking is, did I do that fleece thing right? Uh, was it supposed to be wet or dry? I'm, I'm sure I got it mixed up because this is not going to work. And yet God is saying, I've got you just where I want you, Gideon. Pura, his servant, comes to him. They hike into the Midianite camp, which probably wasn't a great idea. And they're listening outside the tent of two Midian soldiers. They wake up at night. And one of them says, ah, I just had a bad dream. His friend says, what, did you eat pizza? He said, no, no. He said, I dreamt about a round loaf of barley bread. It rolled down the hill and destroyed the camp. That was the sword of Gideon. Who's on the other side of the tent flap listening? Gideon and Purah. What does Gideon do? He falls down face on his face before the Lord. Not a great place to do that, by the way. You can see two Midianite soldiers on guard duty walking by. Hey, what is that nut doing lying in the dust over? That's Gideon. He's the bad guy. He didn't care. But what did Gideon get when he needed it? That little bit of encouragement that he needed to press on. And if you're here this morning and you need that little bit of encouragement, I don't know how it will come. Maybe it comes through a message like this. Maybe you get an email from somebody you haven't heard from for years. Maybe a phone call from some estranged relative that you've always been grieving for because the relationship's broke. I don't know how it will come, but I believe that God says to you, why don't you just taste this morning? Let me show you that I'm a good God. I know you know that I love others, but you need to know today, you need to know at 9.53 that I look down at your life and I go, I love you. And I want you to taste and see that I'm good. Are you there this morning? Do you need that? Taste and see that he is good. God's got this one. Jehoshaphat falls to the ground. And what does it say all the rest of the people? Jehoshaphat bowed with his face to the ground, and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down and worshiped before the Lord. There it is, friends. You know, can I just, uh, let me share my own experience, because I know some of you relate to this. I'm not really a good hand raiser. You know, I feel the worship team leads us in some great songs, and I really enter in, and I just feel the presence of God. And sometimes I lift my hands up, and you know the first thought that goes through my mind? Everybody's watching me, especially my kids. Well, there goes Daddy's getting charismatic again. Listen, I, can I just tell you something? 
Do you think on that day that you and I stand before him in heaven that we're going to be anywhere else than with our face on the ground? And when you and I come into a real encounter with the Holy Spirit of God, do you really think that we're not going to be undone? Gideon falls on his face. Simon in Luke chapter 5, he uses, you know, Jesus says, let me use your boat. Go, you know, I got to finish my message. People are crowding around, pressing him into the water. What? To hear the word of the God. So interested were they in that word of God, they're pressing him into the water. By way of thanks, he says, Simon, go out into deep water and catch some fish. I could just see Simon. God, we've worked hard all night. You don't fish during the day. And by the way, that was a great message, but you're a carpenter, I'm a fisherman. I'm not going to tell you how to build houses. Maybe you shouldn't tell me how to fish, which is probably what I would have said. Nevertheless, but be, the you say so, I'll do it. They caught so much food. What was Simon's first reaction when he saw that miracle? And the Holy Spirit was present. He fell on his face before the Lord at his knees. Go away from me, God, for I'm a sinful man. Listen, when you come into a contact with the Holy Spirit of God and you come to church here, listen, don't lose the opportunity to worship God. I, I, I said to people yesterday, you know what? It amazed me. I asked Dr. Graham once, Billy Graham. I said, you know, because I work for them. And I said, Dr. Graham, what's the first thing you would teach a new Christian? Thinking he's going to say Bible study, the discipline of prayer, you know, attending fellowship. I was thinking of all kinds of things. He said, you know what he told me? He said, the first thing that I would teach a new believer is how to worship God. My friends, we are being outdone in the world by those that worship dead gods. I was in India for the Kubla Mela, you know, people for 12 years save up their money. They come to the Ganges and the Yumna River. They bathe in the river to wash away their sins and break out of the cycle of reincarnation. And I watched these poor Indian families, 12 million, 20 million, come together every 12 years. And I watched them, what they go through, just so that they can worship their gods. And then I remind myself, I come back to Calgary here. We go for lunch after church, which a number of us will and have done, maybe not so much with COVID. And we get there, and we're so glad to be together. We're so glad the sermon's over. We have lunch together, and somebody goes to pray. And just as we're about to pray, that wonderful waitress or waiter is there with the water jug, the coffee pot. And we apologize. Oh, sorry, we're just praying. Oh, Lord, uh, bless this. Oh, oh, we're sorry we kept you away. We're just, are you serious? That's the best we got? Now, I'm not advocating that when you go for lunch, you stand on the table and say, everybody, bow your heads in the restaurant. If you're going to do that, call me. I'll buy lunch. I just want to watch because I like to see what happens. But I am saying, I've got to do better in my worship of the one true living God. And many of those that are nationals from other countries know exactly what I'm saying about because you had to live that to survive in some of those countries. I worship the one true God. I'm not going to be embarrassed. I'm not saying you need to raise your hands. But I'll tell you what, what I am saying is sometimes you just might. Sometimes you just might need to make your way to the front when the worship band is saying and drop on your knees to worship God and become undone before our Heavenly Father. Well, you know what happens. After they get all this encouragement, they've sought the Lord, they've trusted Him, they go to battle against these three great armies, and I love this. 
and I'm going to pick on Jason this morning and Mitch and Becky. I, I love it because what did they do? It says, after consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men, I'm sure there were women there, men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness. As they went out at the head of the army saying, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. I have a new military strategy for our government. When we go to war, Jason, Becky, Mitch, they're at the front of the line singing. No, I'm saying it tongue in cheek. Don't misunderstand me, but understand this, that there is power in worship. I don't feel, friends, that the enemy fears much from us, but I know he fears this when we are united together and when we worship together. You want to see the power of God work? Worship. Learn to be a worshiper of God. Model it for your kids. Model it for your wife or for your husband. Model what it is to individually worship God and corporately, family, come together and worship the King of Kings. Teach your kids that. Let them see it in you. I, how many times have I heard people say, you know, I don't remember much about my dad or my grandpa, but I remember early in the morning walking out and seeing him dropped on his knees praying to God for me. Oh, the enemy doesn't fear much from us, but I'll tell you, when we come together united, he fears it. When we come together as worshipers of the one true living God, he fears that.